In fashion, when people ask where things come from, there's always different levels. There's the influencer, the influencer's influencer, and the source. Well, my guest this week is the source. He's the source for 90s fashion and culture with his Instagram very advanced. He's the source for the streetwear brand Color Plus Company and the source for some of the most refreshing hot takes on the internet. He's worked with Supreme, The Fader, Nike, Hypebeast, Vice, Grailed, just about everyone. It's Jordan Page and this is Bueno. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Jordan Page, stylist, DJ, consultant, creative, and curator of Very Advanced. Jordan and I discuss how he grew up reading encyclopedias and dictionaries for fun, the struggle of making it in New York City, and how losing a job and getting evicted led him to thrifting as a way to afford a wardrobe, which developed into a passion for vintage and a thriving career in the world of fashion. Has anyone else gotten really into packages? Maybe it's quarantine, but I can't wait for the mail every day. I recently signed up for Bespoke Post and have really enjoyed it. Bespoke Post is here with customized box of awesome collections for guys. Guaranteed to upgrade your life, each box is different. Bespoke Post only sends guys the best stuff every month. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear, Box of Awesome has carefully built collections for every part of your life. I got a killer box to unwind filled with candles and new skincare products, and another box filled with great baking and cooking gear. My newest box had an incredible bag and leather wrap too. To get started, you take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. You'll say what you like and what you don't. Example, I'm not into tobacco stuff, but I am into cooking gear. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. You're not just going to get some t-shirt you don't want. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside, right? So get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code BLAMO at checkout for 20% off your first box. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. So check out Bespoke Post at boxofawesome.com and enter code BLAMO for 20% off your first box. Mr. Jordan Page, it is an absolute pleasure to chat with you, man. How are things in the, uh, in the bubble? The bubble is weird. Um, I mean, I, I'm certainly maintaining. I feel like that's my my stock answer. It's like things aren't great, but they aren't terrible. Just maintaining. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't really complain. But if if I were a more selfish person, I would complain. Well, that's that shows a lot about your character as a whole. There, just like no no complaints, no like bummed out about wearing masks or none of that stuff. That that's great. Uh, you just got to do what you got to do. I feel like it was never a big hindrance to my life. I, I you know, I don't want to sound like righteous or altruistic, but like, I, I mean, my priority is to keep myself safe and the people mm-hmm. around me safe. So it's not a big deal for me. Masks and hand sanitizer. I think it's good. I, I think like, hopefully like these become like permanent, like, things that we do here in the states like you know even when this is settled when and however that happens like we always have our mask and our hand sanitizer i mean i'm not mad at that yeah no for real i mean it's 
especially in um what was it like i have a few friends that live in japan and they're like dude like wearing masks has you know been a thing for years like you just like it's not a new thing yeah Um, yeah. anyway has your because i know you you know you have a ton of different kind of careers that you work on and uh, one of those being a stylist have you started working again or is there like how's that been I mean, I no styling jobs yet. I have other stylist friends who have gotten work. You know, styling mm-hmm. is, it's never been the, the core of my career. It's always been something a little like satellite or extracurricular. So, I mean, those jobs were funny because I never like really hunted for them in the first place. Like they kind for of- real? Yeah, they more or less fell on my lap. Um, okay, okay. So, I mean, you know, humble, humble brag here, humble brag no, that's there. Cool. But no, you know, I, I I haven't gotten back into that. The things that I have gotten back into are like I'm in conversations about like some design research jobs, some other types of like creative strategy and consulting things that you can kind of do at a, at a distance more or less. Um, but nothing in person, nothing has like come my way that would involve me being in a studio with people and like, you know, making physical adjustments to things. So, yeah. Right. Well, let's jump way back because you're you're originally from North Carolina, right? Yeah, um, I, yeah. North Carolina's home. It's it's like a weird roundabout story, military brat. But short answer, North Carolina's home. Well, mil- military brat. Were, were yeah. you living on bases? Yeah, I was actually born in Munich. My dad was in the army, so we were okay. there for the first few years of my life. Then. The first place in the States I ever lived was Clarksville, Tennessee, because my dad was uh, stationed there. My mm-hmm. parents divorced. My dad stayed in Tennessee. My mom moved back to North Carolina, and we were with my mom. So High Point, North Carolina, is I consider it my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I I mean, as I was, you know, I had heard of you and and, and the, the IG and, and all the different, you know, avenues uh, of stuff that you had done, but I had listened to that points on the board pod, which is freaking beautiful. I mean, I I wish that dude was still running his pod, man. Cause I was like, where are the new episodes? But it was fun. I I love doing these kinds of things because I I have a tendency to talk too much and this is the perfect outlet for that. So no, you were great. You're great. (laughs) I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it, people should definitely listen to that. I mean, I think he's a very good interviewer too. He's, he's good. Kyle, he and I are actually friends from college. And um, he's from Delaware, but we both went to school in North Carolina and then found each other back here in New York. So talking to him was pretty easy. Like I, he's, I've known him for over 10 years and he's oh, a really great guy. So it was, you know, kind of this place where like his career took him to a place and my career took me to a place where we could finally like converge and like, you know, optimize each other's, you know, bullshit or whatever. <laughs> I can, yeah. I can I can curse, right? Is that okay? Oh, you can say whatever you want. All yeah, right, yeah, yeah cool. you're fine. Yeah. Um yeah, cuz on that note, I mean, what when did you get to New York? Because you you grew up in North Carolina and you go to school there and what what brings you out here? Um well, I'm, you know, it's funny. People I guess because the of the anonymity behind very advanced, people don't see my face. They think I'm younger, but I, I just turned 35 on Monday. So I'm like, you know, an older millennial, as people are like starting to say now. But like I graduated college in 2008. Yeah. Economics major. Couldn't really wrap my head around having a career in that field. And, you know, as you may or may not know, the economy at the time was terrible. I think for college students now, 
are the they're, they're the only group that's going to have it worse than we did, like the end of the 2000s, early 2010 graduates, as far yeah. as finding a job and, and some sort of, you know, financial security. But um, I'd always had creative juices flowing in me. I was always a lover of fashion. I, I grew up painting and drawing. Me and my siblings were always creative in that way. And so I, I feel like I just had this mind that I could, or creative mind rather, that I could translate into some career somehow. And that's kind of how it, it happened. I was like, I can't do this economics thing. It's, it's fucking boring. Like it's basically reciting math or, you know, being a professor or going into law. I didn't want to do these things. I was like, how can I get into fashion or music or whatever else? And um, by fall 2008, I was in New York interning at the Fader um, in the marketing department. And so that is what really like kind of kickstarted my creative career path. So the Fader is obviously incredibly legendary publication and probably one of the earlier ones that was the constant hybrid of music and film and culture and always doing a pretty good job, especially talking about everyone that was dope way before they were. Uh, I used to work at beggars group and I remember they had put, I think this was like 2013 when I was there or no, no, it was like, no, it's 2008 or 2009 or something. Um, they had put a band that we were trying to really push that was on my friend's label called True Panther. Uh, the band mm-hmm. was called Girls, mm-hmm. and they had put them on the cover. And we mm-hmm. were like, yo, this is, I mean, that was that was like what the fader was doing is they were really like pushing like great creatives. So you were entering there. What, what all were you doing? Because like internship covers a lot. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of grunt work, like filing papers. I never yeah. had to once get anyone coffee, which was okay. cool. There like, you go. I don't know, like, like they really didn't do that, but like they actually put me to work. Like I, I was, you know, cataloging magazines, like helping organize things for meetings and stuff. So I was like in the marketing department. So it wasn't like that creative of work. Like I wasn't doing like editorial interning or any anything like that. I, you know, I just thought that, all right, I'm coming out of this space school and I was an economics major, like what's a go between between like the most creative thing and what I was doing. And to me that I felt like that was like being in the marketing department at, a you know, music magazine slash agency. And it was a good middle ground because I learned a lot on the corporate side. And then I actually got to put like my knowledge of music and music history and fashion to good use and like impress the people around me um, who I thought were like gods at the time, you know, like the people on editorial, the people running marketing and, and public relations. I was like, these people are like, you know, everything to me. They're what I want to be in five years. So, I mean, um, it was a great learning experience. I unfortunately had to move back home, but by spring 2010, I was back in New York permanently and I've been here ever since. Wait, what what brought you back home? If, if um, I mean, it was honestly like I couldn't find stable work here. And, you know, renting in New York was much cheaper mm-hmm. at the time. But for like a 22, 23 year old, it was still like, like, you know, I would have had to get a job at T-Mobile or something to pay like rent. And I, I just <laughs> wasn't ready to do that. No shame to anyone that has done that. I've taken plenty of jobs. Sure, sure. Think, but by that time I was over it. 
Um, so I went back home to North Carolina, still couldn't find work in my field, even though I knew that's not, that was what I didn't want to do. My oldest brother was living at the time in Dallas and, um, my mom. Cause your, your older brother's kind of a, kind of a legend, right? Well, so, EPA the guy? Yeah. I got you. Know, so, who told you all these things? No, my, my, wait, <laughs> my, my oldest brother is a lawyer. He had a very similar academic path to me. I kind of followed in his footsteps, but he went one step further, two steps further. He got a master's and a law degree. Um, but my mom was so sick of seeing my face and seeing me mope around the house because I couldn't, I was just unhappy. She was like, go to Dallas. It's not here. You'll figure it out there. And I think late 2009, I got a plane ticket, went to Dallas, lived with my brother, did some work with him, but was still in like a, a bad mood. I didn't have angsty teen years. I had angsty 20s. Like I was like a good teenager, but like my 20s were uh. all over the court. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't like getting into trouble or anything. I was just in a bad mood all the time because life just wasn't good. You know, I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. I couldn't, I wasn't working the jobs. I knew there were other people in New York living my dream and that's how I felt. And it just made me kind of a little bitter, but it, it all worked out in just serendipitous fashion. Um, by the time March rolled around South by Southwest, it started to mm-hmm. this day, I don't know how, but someone at Fader saw that I lived in Texas or found out I lived in Texas and they offered me, um, the job to come work the fader fort at South by Southwest that year. And Which is, that is the place to be at South by. It was the pinnacle of cool during that festival. And, um, I worked that week. I went there, they gave us a daily stipend, paid for my bus ticket. Um, and then we, we worked with all these cool brands. Cause I don't know if you remember how it was set up. Like you had like, the, the floor plan, which was mostly like music venue style, but then off to the sides, there were these booths that brands took over and they kind of showcased new product or innovation to like all the festival goers. And mm-hmm. so um, I was, you know, delegated to one of those booths for the week and just kind of worked my ass off and was really quiet. I was like a little older than most of the reps that were down there. Everyone was like 18, 19, 20. I was like 23. Um, and um, I just kind of kept my head down and, and was quiet and worked all day and went to shows at night. And the last day of the fort, I happened to just get lunch the same time as as the marketing director at the time. Um, this wonderful woman named Kayla LaRosa. And she remarked how she said she had seen me working hard the whole week, just kind of been about my business, but like having fun. She was like, I like you. She's like, have I seen you before? You look familiar. And then I told her I was briefly in the office for like two months as an intern, a year and a half prior. And she was Mm -hmm. like, if you ever come back to New York, let me know. I will help you out. You deserve, you need to be in New York. You don't need to be in Dallas. And two months later, um, hold on with that. Cause that, that, that's first off, I'm not like putting all the praise on her because obviously (laughs) you had to work hard enough to get that recognition. It's not like you had some golden ticket from you. But it is pretty rare to leave New York and to come back. I mean, I've yeah. I've I've been in here 15 plus years and people, a lot of my friends that leave, you don't come back. You're just yeah. like, you know what? F this. I can't handle it. You hit the wall so hard and you get invited back 
because of how good you are and how talented you are. How, but how did that make you feel? It, it made me feel good. It, it, for the first time in a long time, I had something to be happy about, to feel good about, like to mm-hmm. work towards something. It's like, all right, she made this, this, this very kind gesture to me that if I came back to New York, she would help me out, whatever that meant. And sure. so for me, it was just like, all right, I have something to feel good about. Damn! Now, how do I get back to New York? <laughs> and and it, it didn't take long. This was March. I was back in New York in May. So like, I okay, I, I pleaded with my brother. There was this crazy freak accident. So like, at my brother's uh, old apartment. This this brother now lives in D.C. So he's been long removed from Dallas himself. Um, but in his apartment, there was this freak accident. Like this was after South by where, like, I was opening the window in my bedroom. And then something, there was like this faulty thing that happened and the, the window crushed my thumb. And what? I had to get, yeah, like like crushed, it was bruised, nothing broke, but it was like split open and bruised. And it was kind of like a, a gruesome scene. Um, if, if like a thumb could be murdered, this is like what it would look like, or just like a thumb, not the rest of me. But it was like sure. bloody and, and swollen and nasty. And so I had to go to the doctor for that and I was able to file like a claim with the management company and get like a little money off of that. Okay. And that money was kind of seed money for my permanent New York journey. It wasn't a lot. It was like less than a thousand dollars, but like my brother was so kind enough to pay for my one way plane ticket so that like I could have the rest of this money to, and then all the other money I saved working, like, you know, kind of, just implant myself in New York so much so that like, you're not like, you're not getting rid of me this time. Like I'm here Mm. to stay. Um, And that's basically my journey back to New York. Like I stayed with a friend on her couch for like a month and a half. Kayla kept to her word. She helped me get a, like a really decent job with Nike that summer running this, helping run this basketball festival. Not like I wasn't like running it, but I was one of the employees. They did this like, it was basically the World Cup of basketball and it was called World's Basketball Festival and it was based in Harlem and they had games at like Rucker Park and Dykeman uh, Park. And like, we ran this like museum and boutique and it was good money. And from that, I was able to like get my first apartment. I lived in Washington Heights uptown and it was like, $500 a month. And like, I was making things work and I've been here ever since, (laughs) you know? Um, it's been a long journey, but like, dude, like I, I literally like, I feel like it's been a lot of luck. I don't know what to say. Uh, that's okay. I'll push back on you on that one. It's not look, I, I sure the stars aligned, Yeah, but (laughs) you didn't, you didn't get to where you were by just being at the right place at the right time. I mean, a lot of people say that. And I think, God bless them. But it's like the knowledge that you had already with all of your, your, you know, your love of archival fashion and, and Nike and all that. And then, but more importantly, not giving up and like continuing to work. I mean, cause even though someone's like, Hey, come, why don't you come out to come back to New York? You belong here. You could have been like, yeah, whatever. Or of course they, they're saying that and they're just being nice, but like you did it. And there's a very, very big difference that that's not luck. You made a decision. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Make you feel no, of, <laughs> of course. Well, but I mean, I'm curious. What did your What did your family think? Because I mean, I'll um, say this: like your family's 
pretty prestigious in terms of of um not like you guys are royalty or anything but like you know what your what your brother does i mean you're you're all i mean yeah it's yeah i mean uh that's a that's a pretty dope job i mean all all credit due to to my mom being a a single mother like without her we definitely wouldn't be where we are We, we come from very modest upbringing um and she always made sure we kept our head on straight and you know like stayed out of trouble but like yeah like my family was mixed reactions to say the least i think Mm. my my siblings were very supportive like i mentioned my brother bought my one-way plane ticket my mom was apprehensive not because she didn't believe in my talent or my passion or my drive she just wanted to make sure her kid was going out into the world like properly equipped. And I I think maybe she didn't feel that way when I was moving back to New York. I think she wanted me to like maybe save a little more money, wait a little longer. But like in my heart, I knew the time was right. I think growing up, I always looked to my mom for validation or for the yes or the no. And this was the first big decision in my life where I didn't look to her for that. And mm-hmm. I just said, you know, I always listen to her and take everything she says with very high regard. But I mm-hmm. I knew that this is what I needed to do for myself in order to be happy. Even if I was dirt poor in New York, I would be happy being dirt poor, you know? Um, yeah. And, and also as an aside, I mean, I'll say this for listeners and stuff too. It's not like you're you know, some dumb dude. I mean, you had, uh, you had a degree, you had, you had an education, which you worked hard to earn. I mean, we don't have to get into like what, what college life was like, but it's like that, that's still, you can't sleep your way through school and get a degree, especially an economics degree. I mean, that's so, I mean, that's gotta feel good to at least have the empowerment of having a degree. And I say that as someone who doesn't have a degree, I mean, shit, like that is stuff that haunts the back of my head every time yeah. I would always look at jobs and stuff. Cause I'm like, man, I know they're going to ask me, why yeah. don't you have a degree or why, yeah. you know, and you got that. That's, that's a nice arrow in the quiver. It was, you know, and I got to say like, yeah, it, it is the first step in a lot of ways, but I've known many successful people here in New York that either didn't go to college or didn't finish. And, you know, they're, they're just as successful and happy and fulfilled as anyone else I know. So, I mean, like, I think New York and I guess your testament of that, like you, you don't need a college degree to come here and succeed and or live, you know, a life like this. So much creativity here. And I think the right people always will look past, you know, what you don't have to see what you do have, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, so, I mean, yeah, that's true. But on that note, so you, you're working for like the Nike event stuff. Yeah. And because like, this is still a long way from IG, right? I mean, yeah. like this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is way before you got like two chains knocking on your door. So like fill yeah. in this gap here. This is, I was going to say, yeah, this like social media marketing wasn't even a thing at this point. And I, it wouldn't be for another few years, but um, you know, the Nike job ran its course, which is funny. Uh, you know, I always like to tell the story, but it's like one of my colleagues there, or coworkers, if you will, was mm-hmm. uh, SZA, Solana Rowe who is, you know, is like a huge star now. So it's like funny. It was like a lot of like talent in that bubble working for Nike that summer. And it was, this was basically like working a retail job. This was nothing special. We weren't required to do any sort of like real creative work. We would just show up, give the tour, sell some t-shirts. That was it. Right. But 
Um, you know, there are other people that work there who are like kind of big wigs at Nike now or like big in their own respect. So it was nice to kind of come into New York working with that that class of people who are all very successful in their own right. But um, I mean, after some ups and downs, I, I, I made my way back to Fader. I eventually worked there full time where I was a project coordinator, then eventual project manager. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when like Instagram really kind of came into play. I remember sitting in meetings, not just for brands that we would work with, but for Fader itself. Like, how are we going to get Fader's Instagram off the ground? Or like, how can we work with Converse's Instagram? You know what I mean? Just like any of our mm-hmm. clients who needed that, who were trying to build that that social cash at the moment. Like, we had to help strategize that. So, like, I think that that was definitely a bonus in sitting in those meetings and understanding what they were talking about and just being of the age that I am when it came to me starting very advanced, which didn't happen until 2016. Um, Kind of like being able to strategize for myself and seeing like, Oh, like this is how I can grow. But I have to say like that wasn't the goal. Like the goal for me was to like, I do a lot of thrifting. I love vintage this is the perfect outlet to show that love and that passion, that appreciation. This wasn't something I set out to do with, you know, growth in mind or job opportunity in mind. This was just like, Oh, like I love this stuff. Like how do I like show this to the world? And right. it, yeah, it, it really wasn't like me trying to like diversify like my career opportunities. Like I thought I was set. I thought I was going to be like an agency guy be like a creative director, wear like a beanie in the winter, like <laughs> common projects, you know, like that, that was, that was like, you know, I, my, my destiny, I thought it was at that point, but okay, Instagram had other plans in mind. Um, well, were you on like Tumblr or all this stuff I had before then? Cause I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What no, was your it, Tumblr? It was, oh my God, you could probably still find it. I never deleted it. So it's definitely still there. But um, I took the line from, you know, it's a huge Wu-Tang fan. And it was this line from one of Jizz's albums. Um, it just says the, the phrase gods against devils. So it was gods against devils dot Tumblr dot com. And okay. I, I, I maintained okay. it for like a year and some change. And it was just, you know, Tumblr, it doesn't give you the space to kind of be really wordy. So it was just like photos. Like you don't get a lot of rhetoric with Tumblr. You just get like pretty visual. So it was all just like photos. I like little sketches that I drew pictures I had taken like anyone else's Tumblr of the time, but it it was definitely a precursor to the gram for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I think still you're cause the one thing and, and maybe I'm editorializing here, but like, you're, you're developing your taste, right? You're refining it more and more of what you like. I mean, cause, cause when someone says vintage, I mean, that, that is a, and almost a catch-all term with i mean because you you're people who are like oh okay i i only specialize like vintage champion or vintage brooks brothers or vintage prep or vintage all that other stuff i mean what were you were you selling vintage clothes and like just kind of like having a little side hustle or what what was that the 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 with collecting vintage and archiving the goal was never to sell i'm a terrible salesman i i like I, i just feel guilty asking for prices so I would mm. always sell things like for a lot less than what they should have been sold for. But uh. I mean, that was never the goal anyway. Like for me, it was like, I, I guess to, to rewind a bit. So it was mm-hmm. a very unfortunate situation. 
beginning of 2012, where like in a month span, I lost my job and I got evicted. I had a very awful situation where like a roommate just kind of like pocketed mine and my other roommates rent money for 10 months. And we had no idea, got evicted, lost a lot of my stuff. So I grew up thrifting in ways that kind of were required because like I said, you know, we had a humble, modest upbringing, but it kind of resurfaced in this moment to replenish my wardrobe. Like I was like, I I don't have the money to go out and buy things retail. So I like started thrifting again, going to Goodwills and Salvation Armies and finding like old Nike and Gap and Polo that I really liked and would wear um, because I was still like at the point where I was developing my personal style. So like, it's crazy how like an un an unfortunate situation helped inform my personal style and identity like for the rest of my life moving forward to this point. So wait, hold on. I mean, and and I'm not trying to magnify the the tragedy there, but like the job loss and the eviction, how close was that? It was in a matter of uh, like like a month. Like it was like end of the year, beginning of the year 2012, I lost my job department oh. downsizing and sure. then it had to be early. maybe it was two months it had to be early february or early march i lost or we got evicted so in that time of a month or two it was just like life was beating on me i couldn't like catch my breath it was just crazy but somehow made it out <laughs> you know i had yeah, good i mean friends. you didn't go back no, I didn't go back. I, the thought never crossed my mind in the sense that, like, I, of course, I knew it was an option, but would I make that deliberate action? No, never. I, I, like I said, you know, I was able to build a great support system, and you know, the brand only New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys, really good friends of mine. So, you know, Micah and Julian, who are the the co owners. Micah's the founder. They're both co owners. Um, they let me like work for them in there. Um, you know, packing and shipping warehouse so I could get back on my feet. And then that led to me doing other things for the brand too. I began doing like artist seating to a degree, helping out with some creative aspects because they knew that I had that, that talent there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was able to stay with friends until I saved money and, and was able to get in my apartment. I mean, like this all happened, like, I guess early March and then by April, I was back in my own apartment. Like I, like I, I try to move quick with these things. Like I, I like I super disciplined. Don't spend money on anything I don't need to. Um, yeah, like saving money, finding jobs, hitting up everyone left and right. Like I was willing to do anything. I worked like security a couple of nights at a bar. I had, I hadn't started DJing again by that point, but like mm. that was a thought. I was like, I can make money this way. I could do it that way. But, you know, like between a very supportive circle of friends and family, I was able to stay in New York and bounce back. But I feel like my my life in New York has happened in many different timelines. It's kind of crazy. Even when I look back at it, it's like, damn, when did that happen compared to when did this happen? And like those things happen at the same time. It felt like two different times. You know, it's just kind of nutty, like how much has happened in the last 10 years that was both good and bad. But like, I wouldn't change it for the world, you know? It's part really? of really you know like I feel like that's character building you know like you you go okay. through something like that you get a lot of perspective you learn a lot of discipline 
you you learn about yourself, you learn about how to treat others. And I, I think it just it like builds you into like a more accountable person. And I feel like if it weren't for these like ridiculous, terrible things that happened on my journey, along with the great things that have happened, I wouldn't be the person I am today. You know, not to say that that's great, but you know, I'm happy. I no, I, well, I mean, that that's the most important thing. I mean, right. you're, you're not like some folks, you're kind of filling the void of whatever your life is with like stuff or just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I got a buddy who I always get super jealous because he's like pretty affluent and he just like goes all the way in on every, on every brand ever. Yeah. Like I tell him, you know, cause I, for me, I'm, I'm the one of my friends that's like, yo, check out, check out this brand. Like, have you ever, you ever heard of CCP? Like, yeah. you, you know, and he's like, yeah, man, I just got, I just got a scar stitch jacket. And I'm like, okay. So you just dropped seven, eight K on. And I'm like, okay, well I'm, you know, and he's like, oh, if you, if you, I also got the tornado pants and, and I'm like, no, you can't wear it head to toe now. Like, what are you doing? But like, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, but God. I, but it was like I was doing all that research. I was on all those message boards, and yeah. I tell you, and you drop like twenty k in a day, and you're like, check it out. What do you think? I kind of like it. I don't know. And but that that stuff, like whenever we chat, he's always looking for the next thing to blow his cash on. And in a yeah. weird way, I mean, not that I'm putting him down, but I've I have tried to be more content. Uh, with my life and my situation, yeah. despite not being able to have racks to go buy stupid jackets. <laughs> I mean, you, you gotta be, I think, look, you, you know, that that's look, man, I we're in the same boat. I have friends like I had a former <laughs> intern who, who I respect greatly, but came from affluence. And, you know, I remember remarking like one summer, you know, he was the company intern and I was remarking like, oh, I want the Vism Cristo so bad. Like I, I like it, this had to be like 2015 and I just wanted them more than anything else in the world. And he knew that I wanted them and that we talked about it often. And one day he just shows up in them and I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, fuck you, man. Like how, how fucking dare you? But yeah, it's nah, true. It's but like, yeah, I, I get it. I look, we look, Maybe we're we're cut from the same cloth. So like I'm happy that I have the style I do. Like any given day, 80% of my wardrobe or like what I have on on that moment is like vintage that I like that I found for cheap. So like if I don't have to spend a hundred bucks on a t-shirt or three hundred bucks on some shoes, which I have done before, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? I, I feel yeah. like I've I've grown into myself, into my personal style, and like I feel good. I feel good. Yeah. All right. That's, oh, that's good. So, I mean, many folks ask me where to start with a new or updated wardrobe because some of us are going back into our offices, but some of us are staying put, but all of us are looking for some new clothes. I've been working with the team at P. Johnson for years and could not be happier. P. Johnson is a custom men's clothier with a focus on soft tailoring, comfort, and a natural laid back elegance. With their own private factory in Italy and lush showroom in New York, Sydney, Melbourne, or London, you can easily stop in and see their looks for yourself. Or check out one of their trunk shows traveling all over the world. Patrick and the crew just released some pieces from their new collection, and it's fantastic. My personal favorite is the Technical Field Jacket. It's a wind and water-resistant jacket that's more sleek than your average coat, but rugged enough to wear with jeans. 
P. Johnson and the team, they can help guide you to your perfect piece or rebuild your entire wardrobe from scratch. Look, their look is put together but not contrived. It's always simple, elegant, and flattering. And if you want something special, you can make something new with them and it's not going to take nine months. We're talking a few weeks here. Visit pjt.com to view it and learn more. And if you're wondering where to start, grab a knit or vest and see for yourself. So visit pjt.com to learn more or just go to their Instagram. You'll see their new eyewear, their overshirts, and look, I think it's personally some of the best styling you'll see on any runway or catwalk. It's a vibe. It's P. Johnson. When you, unfortunately, I'm not trying to stay on the eviction thing. When you get evicted, they took all your stuff? Well, yeah, I, I don't know how it works entirely, but like basically what's in the apartment belongs to the management company. So it's like, I guess you don't own it anymore. So when this guy comes and knocks on the door and he's like, do you live here? And I'm like, yeah, it was like, you got five, 10 minutes to get some stuff and go. You're getting evicted. Like it's like, you don't even have the rest of the day. You have to leave very shortly after they come. I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? And so he does this gesture like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like rent hasn't been paid here since like last spring or some shit like that. And I'm like, dude, I pay my roommate rent every month. And then it's this whole back and forth. And he's like, I don't have time for this. Like wherever the lease, wherever the leaseholder is, we need to talk to him. So I was like, cool. I get some shit. I leave. And I'm just literally wandering the streets of New York for like that afternoon, not knowing what to do. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I lived in Washington Heights. The only New York office was in Harlem at the time. So I go down there, basically tell them what happened. And I'm just like, can I just sit here? Like, I don't know where else to go. And uh, my good friend, um, Sam Obi, who's still one of my close friends to this day, he lived all the way in Crown Heights and, you know, uh, let me stay with him for like basically a month till I could get back on my feet. And like I said, only offered me a role and that's how I was able to stay here. But it, dude, it was just like, you want to talk about like, like actual, like the only time I thought that I was going to shit myself was when I was in a plane that like, I thought was going to crash because turbulence was so bad. Like the, 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 the two moments mm. in my life where I like, I actually might poop my pants. Like, I don't know what, to do. <laughs> like there's nothing you can do in either of those situations. There's like, like there's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? Um, right. but yeah, <laughs> that's that's the eviction story man damn dude i'm i'm so sorry but like you rebuild your wardrobe with all this really good vintage stuff and did you ever flip any of it i mean i know you said you wouldn't really sell much your stuff but like when times were hard yes because in my journey like even post post the eviction that's when i started working at fader like a was it a year later Oh, okay. Maybe maybe a year. God damn it. Yeah, I'm having a hard time figuring out. It was a year later when I started working at, at Fader again. So I worked for only most of the rest of that year, then did freelance event production. And then Fader hollered at me and I took a job with them and I was there for two years. But it was just like, you know, there were ups and downs in that. And as much as I love fader and 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 you know the the opportunities it provided me like i was a project manager running multiple projects making 35k in new york city so like side hustles were absolutely necessary um and so like i would sell some of my vintage to kind of make supplemental income but not Mm -hmm. shortly after that i'd started djing in new york and then that became 
a, a more consistent means of supplemental income. But, you know, it's crazy. You have a full-time job that like you love and, and you, you know, you want to respect the people there, but you're also not getting paid enough to like live in New York. And like, I have student loans and like, I, you know, I have extracurricular yeah. things I want to do and I can't do it off of a 35 K salary in New York city. You know, yeah. when I first started, my salary was even lower. Dude, I, I wasn't even my first full time job. I wasn't even making thirty k. This was a salaried position in New York City in the two thousand tens. Oh, crazy! Like who? Who the fuck can live off of that in New York City? Well, the the problem is, and and I have no problem putting, especially brands I've worked with on blast. Like a cool company basically thinks that they can pay people less because it's cool that you work there. Yeah, and it's like, but then on on the other hand, they'll complain that pe- man, our turnover is so high. Well, because you don't pay people shit, and the only way to get paid is to leave, go work somewhere else, and then come back. Yeah, because you, it's like, sorry, I had to go work somewhere else. Um, I mean, Two you can't years. even go in and ask for a raise, you know, cause I remember, I mean, whatever, but like, you know, I would talk to companies and stuff and be like, Oh, you know, Oh, they'll pay me this. Okay. I'm going to leave and I can go make that. And then hopefully that this company will bring me back versus like, why don't you just pay me a fair amount? Cause it's not like everyone's saying like, Hey, I have one year experience. Give me 150 K, you know, no. it's like, that's not like people are just like, can I survive off this? And like surviving should not mean like having to have four or five other jobs. Exactly. No, dude, it's so it, it's very predatory in my eyes. Like, I mean, you know, these companies know what they're doing. They're banking on the Absolutely. coolness of their brand, the relevancy. And like, like, that's how they hook these young kids. I mean, I was a victim of it. A lot of my friends were victims of it. And I, I, I say the term victim with, you know, absolute certainty because that's what you are. You're, you're someone in a position who's being taken advantage of. And, you know, our youthfulness, our music knowledge, our fashion knowledge, our, our everything is just being taken advantage of. And like, I, I feel like Fader provided me with certainly like a skill set and conditioning. And like, I met some of my best friends working there, but like, it was it was fucked to work somewhere, work that hard and not be paid enough to like, you still worrying about rent along with your student loans. You're like, I don't even have money to save. Like I can't even like go on a vacation. If I can barely afford like a plane ticket home for the holidays, you know, coming up in the cornerstone fader environment, there were so many interns and colleagues of mine that did come from upper middle class to just purely affluent backgrounds, like people with trust funds and their parents mm-hmm. paid their rent. Like I kid you not, I had a coworker who had the same job as me, same income, same salary. And mm-hmm. they lived in a studio apartment in union square. And it's just like, <laughs> I, you, I already know, like, I don't need to hear anymore. I already know what the deal is. You know yeah. what I mean? And meanwhile, I'm yeah. struggling to pay $500 a month. And, yeah. you know, my, 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 uh, Washington Heights apartment. And so it, yeah. it's, it's like, I get it, but like, that's the thing that, you know, I guess not to get too, too political about the conversation, but like, you're fine. When we talk about like fair, fairness to people who have a desire or a passion to work in the creative industry, but they don't have like the financial support and like a lot of those people, and it's not entirely, but a lot of those people are black and brown kids like myself who by the grace of God found a way to 
enter it and stay in it. Um, but I know of a bunch of kids who who couldn't manage it. Like they they left after mm-hmm. a year or two and went home and like maybe they're happy now. But I know in that moment that's not what they wanted. It was what they had to do. And like to know that you know, especially when I was coming up, the industry was rampant with you know, not to sound bitter, rich kids who whatever they were making as an intern or an entry level employee, like that salary was basically supplemental income. That was their spending money because all of their basic needs were taken care of by a yeah. fund or their, their parents directly, yeah. you know, and, and it's unfair. And I think that that's why the creative industry for the past, however long, few decades so whitewashed people who came from lower income backgrounds would, like I said, which happened to be a lot of people of color didn't have the same opportunity because they didn't have that safety net, you know? Yeah. And it's, it sucks because there are a lot of people that should be here making moves in the industry that aren't, you know, they, they Mm -hmm. went somewhere else they could afford to live. And that's great that, you know, people make it on their own or they find a way, but like, there are people that should be in New York, you know what I mean? Making these creative decisions and impacting our culture. And unfortunately they're not because of a lack of financial resources. You know? I mean, and, and you know, th- that was also you, right? I mean, cause you left and then you, I mean, look, you, you came back cause you, you just made yourself do it. you 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 got evicted for crying out loud and you're like, Nope, going to keep doing it. Yeah. And I know that you were saying that like this builds character and it's great that all this stuff happened, but like it doesn't make it right. No, not. not <laughs> so, I mean, that's stuff. Yeah. Which is why if I ever spoke to someone who went through the same thing, but didn't stick it out, I would never judge or be self-righteous or, or you know, be on my high horse because people do what they need to do for different reasons. My like, no, I didn't come. I don't come from a lot of money, but my privilege came from having you know, a supportive family that knew where my passions lied and wanted me to stick it out. And they did the most they could do to help that happen. And it wasn't even like getting money. It, it could have just been like an encouraging phone call from my mom that a lot yeah. of people don't even, you know, have that, which is so important. But like, it's it's just, I've had my own privileges that I've become more and more aware of and my ability to stay in New York was a privilege and that's not lost on me at all. But mm. it's not the same as like having mommy or daddy pay for an apartment or get me out of a sticky situation. But like, it's, it's, it's just crazy how it all plays out, you know? Yeah. So I'd well, never I- judge anyone that had to leave and stay and stay gone. I mean, and it sounds like you, you know, you continue just, you know, for lack of a better term, like hustling, you got like four or five jobs. Yeah. And, and even when like your IG started, I mean, it was, you didn't just pop with one day, you know, a ton of followers. I mean, cause I, I, I went through a while ago and I think I almost went through every single, every single like IG uh, post you had. Cause oh, I mean, wow. you were someone that also you would kind of, cause look, most people, when you think of Instagram, it's the photo, right? You put the photo and you put some emoji as your caption, some sort of half-assed thing and you just move on. But like you would explain the history of all of these different, I mean, I forgot about all these sub brands of Nike and you were finding photos that I couldn't find anywhere. So like how, you know, (laughs) and and I don't mean to, to make such a hard pivot, but it's like you, 
like all these like princess die photos and stuff. It's not like you were someone who just like Google searches and finds the first five pictures and throws that in your Instagram. I mean, this is, were you collecting magazines? Uh, Yeah. Part of my thrifting is collecting magazines. A lot of, a lot of what I post are personal scans or photos. I found so deep in the internet that like you couldn't find them without breaking a sweat. You know, I'm talking like dead form links um, photo like archival services that like you need like memberships for. I never paid for anything, but like there are like certain like archival like photo banks that like people don't know about and they're in other languages. Like all over Europe, they have them. In East Asia, they have them. I'm not going to give away all of my secrets. No, no, no. You don't need to. Yeah, yeah. But like they're on the internet. A lot of stuff is there. A lot of people just don't know how to search for it. I don't know how I... I acquired that skill set. I think it was just like diligence over time and like learning what I wanted to 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 find and show to the world. But but yeah, man, I I mean I pride myself on that. Like we were talking about Tumblr a bit ago. And for me, it was just like, I just don't want to post a photo. Like, let me give some context. Like if I can't give like a whole historical contextual backstory, the least I can do is give like a, a place a year in a photographer which people don't do they just post the photo and it's like oh this looks cool like well damn what year is it from what magazine is it like who mm. the photograph give some context to it to give it more life and i think that i don't know if i was but i feel like i was amongst the first accounts to really do that um which you know something to be proud of because now there are dozens if not hundreds of accounts that dedicate themselves to telling like fashion stories or sartorial stories. Yeah. But I'll say this, a lot of those folks were following you. So, I mean, you were, you were the influencers influencer here, especially when you, when, uh, no, I'm serious. I mean, I follow you for a while, but like there was some, uh, some bigger brands that all of a sudden start, start knocking your shit. Um, and like, I mean, well, not even knocking, just like stealing it. Um, and and this is one thing I want to ask you because you uh, have had a very uh, polite but succinct way to call out people ripping you off. Yeah, I you know, man, I, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's <laughs> I try not to be or bash anyone, even if I'm upset. Like I always collect myself, think about how I want to relay my emotions and express them as succinctly and efficiently as possible. Like I, you know, it's, it's, I, I pride myself on having a a decent way with words that I also get from my mom. She was like an English major in college and Hmm. we grew up reading like, it's going to sound so lame, but like the encyclopedias, the dictionaries, like, like, like for fun (laughs) and for fun. And so like, I think that, um that kind of upbringing i mean we grew up in a a house with like books we read quite a bit my mom made sure of it whether we wanted to or not but i think that has allowed me to just kind of express myself in in very articulate ways like i i can get across a point um and and not like feel like i'm attacking someone i don't ever want to attack someone but i do want to make them aware that what they're doing is not okay you know what i mean and there were yeah. a couple of times where I had to call out people or brands with bigger platforms who who uh, have basically ripped off either how I do things or like photos. And I know it's hard to kind of claim domain over 
a photo that exists on the internet or that you scan from a magazine. It doesn't really belong to me, but there's, um, it's the work, it's the, the, work. the research, it's the, the research is a lot. And, and then that's what upsets me. It's just kind of like, you know, these brands and these people getting like a creative, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of like they're expanding their, their creative palette through my hard work. You know, they find out about these things through me. And I'm like, yo, like you can repost, just fucking tag me. Jesus Christ. That like, I mean, that's the thing is it's, it's pretty easy, it's so easy to kind of give to give credit. And look, I've I've been totally guilty of it when I find somebody's even even on the pod, right? I mean, we'll like someone will send us a picture of them that we'll post on the pod. And yeah. it's only been recently that I, I take full blame and ownership that we're like, hey, do you know who took this? Yeah. So we can make sure we credit them because yeah. it's not, I mean, look, I'm not a huge thing, but it's like, I, I don't want to be that guy Yeah. and it's not that hard. It's what, like two questions and then find their at and tag. Like yeah, that's it. That is, I it. mean, and I've, I look, man, I've reposted, I see something, something someone posts and it interests me and I'm like, all right, what's the deeper story behind this photo? And I, I might do the research myself, but I always give credit, like, photo found via this account, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, like, or this this person's post sparked my interest, which allowed me to go down a rabbit, a researching rabbit hole. So it's just like, I think, like, I, I don't know what it is. A lot of people just want to be seen as kind of like, the there are these sort of like first on it, creative cornerstones of the culture. And it's just like, it's not that important. Like, <laughs> the fact that you like the photo speaks to some sort of taste level that you have. So like, just like be like real about it. Like, yo, I got this photo from here. Um, I decided to expand on it. Or like, even if you just want to repost and not say anything like, yo, photo found via so-and-so like it's, it's really just like a fucked up thing, especially when people with large, when people with smaller platforms do it to me, I don't get so upset, but like, when the larger platformed people do it, it, it becomes a thing where like diet Prada. Yeah. Well, yeah. So like that, that's a, a more interesting story to say, and we can go deeper into that. If you like, I don't think I've ever told that one before, but for someone like, like for instance, um, it was, and I have no personal beef with her, but um, what's her name? She does sporty and rich. Um <laughs> the anti-vaxxer i know yeah she is. oh my god i could see it. emily oberg and you emily know we, we've actually yeah, yeah. met in person and have mutual friends <laughs> she's a very nice person but it was this occurrence of her taking photos from and, and it was this thing where like she posted three photos in a row and they all just happened to be three photos that i posted very recently and had like background stories for so it was just this thing of like i reached out to her over dm and i said hey like you know it it, hard work goes not only into finding these photos but the quality of the photos that i find like i don't i i try to have a standard for the quality of Mm -hmm. photo that i post like if i i have like dozens of interesting stories that i want to tell but i don't have the quality photo yet and i won't post about it until i have a good photo like i don't want to compromise that standard so, but either way to find the photos in good quality is work in and of itself. So like I reached out to her, I said, Hey, like these are personal scans of mine. Like I would appreciate some sort of credit, yada, yada, yada. And then we had a back and forth exchange. It was very pleasant. And then she went, okay. then she went on Twitter and posted the same photos and didn't give credit. 
And then that, and then that's when I was like, okay. And then I was just like, but like you know, I never name call. I never presume anything about anyone's personal life. I just state the facts. I'm like, this is what it is. You have a larger platform than me. People are going to think that this is your creative work, your your mm-hmm. you know your research skills. When it's not, you merely just lifted the photo from my account. And that's that's not okay. Like you're already in a position where you're getting recognized by brands. You you have what I want, and you're basically in a in a roundabout way taking opportunities off of my table if you do things like this. So, my friend Nikki, whose birthday it is today, happy birthday, Nikki. She was the one that told me, like, in your in your articulation of your feelings regarding this incident you complained just enough any more people probably would have turned on you like you you stopped right at the right moment and and that's the thing right because i think a, a lot of folks whom have been knocked off um which the anger is fair yeah. i want to be very clear i'm not saying that but there's a different way to communicate and yeah. i think some you know cuz some people immediately go and it's like cancel culture f them and da, 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 and then they pull all of these stops out and you're like hey i'm not going to mention anything else i'm not going to try to attack you i'm not going to ask for pity i'm going to say this is my hard work you took my hard work yeah uh i mean and and that, i think that's the bigger thing is i that for me and and here's the thing you could you could say any of that stuff and it's still fair yeah. That's the other thing I, I want to be clear about. And I, I, cause I was just like, man, I was like, if this is guys like a masterclass and like proper criticism, you know, it's like watching British bake off. Oh man. On, on IG. If you're saying I have the wit and critique skill of a British person. That is probably the best compliment I've ever. I love that show. Yeah. I mean, which again is like the, the best example of how to give and receive feedback. Is on that show. That's maybe one of the greatest compliments I've ever received. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I love that show. it is a pleasure. Uh, but I mean, because that's the thing is, I was like, man, it's like, how, how can I do that? Because I mean, sure, people have knocked me off and stuff, but I, I don't, I am not as eloquent or as um, concise, and and I, and so I, I admire that a lot, especially with, you know, because look, like I'm going to say this, like Diet Prada is not is not cool. And and I and I'm kind of grateful that there are other people now being like, yo, like that's strange. Yeah. Is anyone gonna like kind of go after these folks? Yeah. And I don't want people to have personal harm, but I I, I just want credit for people who deserve it. I, I hear that, and it, I think with their platform, the the backlash that they have run into is kind of ironic, considering yeah. <laughs> what the platform is based on. But just just to give you, I guess I don't know if you know about like my relationship with them. Like I've never met either one of them in person. I found the account very interesting when I first followed and I don't know, their, their voice is a bit too scathing for my taste. I'm all about calling out people. I'm all about people being called out and being held accountable, but like, and don't get me wrong. I can be mean too. I can shit talk with the best of them, but like <laughs> in, in an online space, I try not to Twitter might be a different story. Um, <laughs> but, but I really do try to handle myself with some sort of, you know, just like, like a, a standard level of respect for whoever I'm addressing, whether mm-hmm. I like them or not, whether they've done me wrong or not. Like, and, and with them, it was, um, you know, a situation of, you know, Alessandra Michelle was creative director, newly appointed creative director of Gucci at the time, or recently appointed. 
he basically knocked off Dapper Dan's designs for that one show. And to my knowledge, I don't know if I was the first, but I was one of the first people to kind of call attention to it. And Diet Prada had built a significant platform to that point, but nowhere near where the level they are now. One of them, I don't know who, and I honestly, the names of the two people that run the account have been lost on me. But one one of them reached out and said, hey, we know that you said these things on Twitter. Just wanted to confirm, yada, 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 that like what you think or said about these things are, are, are true. If you feel they're true, true enough for us to confirm them too. So I confirmed them for him just because I was like, oh, they're going to make a post about it. Like I didn't say like, hey, tag me in the post or yada, yada, yada. But the subsequent, um, not necessarily fallout, but like what happened next was they reported it on their account and they had a, a, a larger platform than me. And they do talk about high fashion with more consistency than I do. And I do have great respect for their research skills and their like very discerning eye when they're able to just kind of like pick apart designs and see like, oh, this person took this from that, whatever, 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 have the utmost respect for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It became this thing of like, they received so much opportunity and applause from a discovery of mine. And it was ironic in a sense, like, like here you have an account run by two people who are not black getting a lot of recognition for information that they got from a black person about a situation in which a white person rips off a black person. (laughs) So so I'm just connecting those dots. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck man. Like there's no way to like, they, they got to do Gucci's Instagram takeover. They got invited to the show. They were at fashion weeks and they've been rolling ever since. And like, honestly, like they were on a roll before then, but that moment, um, uh, in time of them reporting on Alessandra Michelle and Dapper Dan, like basically put them in the, the the stratosphere of like you know Instagram accounts to follow. Now they have like a million plus followers, and they're 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 front row at fashion shows, and they're reporting. And part of me is very resentful and bitter about that, but also part of me is just like if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Got to let it go because you know I'm not going to sit here and be unhappy about something that happened three four years ago. But I will tell the story because it's my right to tell the story. <laughs> First off, it's absolutely your right to yeah. tell the story. It's uh, the the like quintuple irony there yeah. of of the appropriation on on multiple levels is is kind of beyond fucked up. I I didn't even make that connection. It, I mean, the the thing is too like I'm not as mad at them or upset with them as I was like say um, an Emily Oberg who we're in more similar lanes than myself in Diet Prada. Um, and to Diet Prada's credit, when I think the following year, or maybe a year or two ago, they had a business of fashion article in which they named that moment as like a turning point in their career. And they did shout me out by name. They were like, I mean, it was like too little too late at that point. Like the dust had settled and died from that that yeah. momentum. But like, you know, like stylist archivist Jordan Page was credited with like discovering the, you know, the discrepancy in Alessandro Michelle's designs. And, and you're like, cool. Do you guys want to quote from me? Yeah. Business like, fashion? Come like, on, get over here, Tim Blanks. Please. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it just goes to show that like life just isn't fair. And like, if you dwell on it too much, you'll be miserable. And I, I just don't want to be miserable. A lot of good things have happened for me since and, 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 and in ways that, you know, 
I'm very proud of. So, I, I mean, I didn't want to have my come up being publicly bashing every person that I felt like ripped me off or took something from me and was able to succeed off of it more than I was. Sure. So, you know, it, it is um, a lot to be said for that. Like, you know, I wish Emily Oberg the best. I wish the Diet Prada people the best. At least Diet Prada has like the good heart to follow my account on Instagram. Emily Oberg just doesn't like she she that's the fucked up part like she doesn't follow anybody and she just creeps a, she creeps your account for content or whoever she or whoever like she might have like doing stuff for her like yeah. her sporty and rich account has she doesn't follow anyone so you like you mean to tell me you know about my account and you just creep it which is like so unsafe oh that's like, yeah like, i just looked up yeah that's awkward that's like not good ethics that's not good instagram ethics you know <laughs> it's against the algorithm it is it is and you know like like i said whatever i mean um well i mean i don't want to dwell on on that stuff because obviously you are at, at least from my perspective pretty wildly successful and and the collaborations that you've done, I mean, from the, the Reebok stuff, I mean, how, how did some of this happen? And especially now where, you know, there are um, creative directors and folks that I know who work at large companies and you're like the guy they want to talk to. I don't know if they've already talked to you, but they, I know that they want to, you know, and it's just like trying to get the budget. (laughs) I mean, I gotta admit, I don't get reached out to, too often, man. I mean, I, I'm very grateful for like the opportunities I have gotten, but it's usually a DM. Somebody just reaches out. I check them. If I'm interested in pursuing, we'll have some, some discourse and whatever happens from there happens. But yeah, it's, it's usually just as simple as like, Hey, I work at this place. We're doing this project with so-and-so. We wondered if, if you were interested in participating. And a lot of it has been more participatory, like, you know, me, like promoting product on my page. And for me, it always has to align with the content that already exists. Like, I'm not going to mm. to alienate my audience in any way, not even for a paycheck, unless it's like, you know, a paycheck. I mean, <laughs> but here's the thing. No one would fault you for it. Yeah. Like, if you, if you got to secure the bag, go for it. I mean, like that, that, <laughs> look, bags have been secured and I'm not mad. Good. But like, yeah, I, I do try to keep the integrity of the page high. Like, I don't want to, like I said, alienate my audience, especially those who've been following me from day one. You know, yeah. I just um, I just like what I have going, and I want to keep it in that vein. I don't want to. I don't want it to be like a a fit postgram where somebody sends me shoes and then I got to do a fit pick. Like, I'm not. Oh doing yeah. That. I, like I said before, I kind of like the anonymity behind it. Like, I I mean, I link my personal IG to it. So like, Hey, if you want to get to know me on a personal level, like follow me here, figure out how weird and silly I am on a daily basis. Like I'm, I'm an idiot pretty much. The Twitter is where it's at for me. I mean, with all due respect, I I like your, your personal IG, but the Twitter is, is the hot takes. You, you, you get a lot more of me on Twitter. Like, like, you know, like I'm, I'm more inclined to really speak my mind and, and and honestly, just give <laughs> a more detailed insight to like how my brain works. And like, I, you know, like I, I, I like I like silly shit. My sense of humor is pretty juvenile. Like anyone who knows me well can tell you that. But like, you know, I, I, the funny thing is I rarely talk about the things that I talk about on Instagram on Twitter. Twitter is like my my playground. 
Mm. Like it's 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 so the meme is very accurate then with with twitter life the ig (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah i'm definitely more buttoned up on instagram but twitter is like is like where the bullets can fly you know i've got Mm. arguments with people i don't even know and just completely like just been at my like my worst not my worst in a bad way but like the worst of me on social media is in twitter in the sense that like you know, you're going to get a, a more raunchy aspect of my of my point of view, which is, that's that's fair. That's fine. It's unfiltered. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so b- before we, we wrap here, I, I did want to discuss because like the styling thing while you have done for a while. Yeah. It feels that it's a little bit newer with some of the bigger folks that you've been working with. Yeah. Is, is that is that gonna stick around more are you just exploring that like what's that it's always an exploration i've never set out to be a stylist i think i'm good at it but i still have a lot to learn i have friends who are amazing stylists and i wouldn't even compare myself to them but you know through very advanced i have been able to secure some high profile jobs and 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 do well at them like you know i've done work with versace and, and hype beasts and you know, high snob of the fader came back around and I ended up doing editorial work for them. Um, and it's, it's been an amazing experience to just kind of explore this side of my interests. And like, I always dress myself and like the way I dress myself, but dressing other people is another task because absolutely like your personal style through another lens, like whoever you're working with, it's kind of like the, the nooks and crannies and maybe the idiosyncratics of who you are, but like not who you are. Like I would never go on a job and dress someone like I dress myself, but it's like how I would dress if I were them in this situation. Well, I mean that, that right there is like, that's the key. Cause yeah. I mean, as I was a celebrity stylist for a bit and my, I obviously I'm not anymore, but when I was, I was basically just making replicants of my own personal style versus yeah. exactly what you just said. And even the other stylists that, you know, I've had on the show they're like doing what's best for the the client or for that for that individual yeah. through their taste yeah. and, the, and the taste that they think is going to reflect best on that person versus well right now I'm really into Rick Owens and Tom and Ya and all this stuff and so here you go this guy you know here's and they're like uh, yeah okay <laughs> no I no I, I got I got us I've learned a lot from my stylist friends man because like my my good buddy Corey Stokes. And my my other good friend uh, Mobilaji, who who used yeah. Fader now is at GQ. Whether it's being able to talk to them per- personally or witnessing their work, it's just kind of like been a masterclass for me um, coming through the ranks as a stylist. And another good friend of mine, she works with High Snob a lot, Jenny Hopla. She's uh, you know just witnessing the work of how these people dress folks and like. It's like, yes, their point of view, their style, because a, a, a stylist needs to have a point of view, a stark point of view, the same way a photographer does or a creative director does. But I think in certain respects, a stylist job is more difficult because dressing someone is formatting to so much of someone's personal style that they don't know they have yet. Like, I would never, like, if I got, like, Seth Rogen as a client, I would never <laughs> dress him in, like, Rick Owens. You know Smart. what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so it's like, you know, unless it was, like, some sort of gag to the shoot. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, juxtaposition was at play. But, like, you dress people. You basically elevate 
what they already have or what they already are. Mm. Like you put your flair and your, your fashion intelligence into it. And like, that's how, you know, you come to like whatever result you come to. And I think that, you know, my friend Corey Stokes in particular is really, really good at that. He's an amazing stylist, men and women. And he's done celebrity styling and editorial work and, you know, campaigns. And like, he's someone, he's younger than me, but someone I kind of look up to in that respect. Um, because he's, he's amazing and he will be someone who, anyone who's interested in fashion, if they don't already know him, they will know him in a mm. year or two's time. Like he will be one of the, the, the premier men stylists in the world within the next five years. I, 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 I agree. I think Corey's yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah. He's, he has a very, you know, especially like, I don't know. I, it sounds tacky to say, but when people talk about like the high low mix, I mean, yeah. he's always got a, a very keen understanding of that. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's awesome. Uh, well, I mean, yes, yeah, now, now, you know, I mean, are you going to get an agent now? You're going to, I don't know, man. I look, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I don't know how any of this works. It's so funny. I've been here for so long, but I still feel like so new to a lot of it. Like I, I, maybe I should, Maybe I should talk to friends who have them and see what's up. Do it. Well, like, what's yeah. the worst that can happen? You're right. Maybe I'll get more work during the pandemic. You know, dude. I a friend of mine. She's a stylist, and she's been doing FaceTime. Like, like, you know, they basically put <laughs> they like put the phone up on a tripod, and oh, they're wow. and, and someone that is you know in Milan is kind of like taking it around at different things. And they're like, okay, can I see that? And I'm just like, wow, wow that's gnarly that really uh, dissects the process like you really really have to pay attention and, right and, and do things piece by piece that's crazy <laughs> so yeah I, I i hope that that is not the norm especially right now when uh united states citizens are not allowed in many countries due to you know our handling of the pandemic yeah uh, <laughs> Or they're not handling at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just outright negligence, if you, <laughs> if you want to be honest about it. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan, it was an absolute pleasure to chat with Likewise. you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn and produced by Blamo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Look, I don't get reviews either, but they help the show, so do it for the B. Want even more Blammo? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam. You'll get access to tons of additional interviews from the Sartorialist, Is It Mashburn, Michael Hill, a community Slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you soon. <laughs>